0: Yes, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day. I was looking forward to this interview because Greg Whiting is a man to my heart. Uh, he, like me, has uh, has had his own experiences, and he is, he has learned, like me, that we escape reality for a reason. There is trauma most often in our life. And many of us have not learned how to deal with that trauma, how to deal with the negative emotions, the PTSD, the depression, the anxiety, those kind of things. And there are unfortunately some quick fixes like alcohol, gambling, sex, you name it, addictions out there that fit that perfectly well, at least for a while. (laughs) Yeah then things go down very rapidly, uh, the gurgler. So um, I've got Greg writing with me here today to discuss his Prisma method, and to discuss how we can address the trauma, the underlying reasons why want why we want to escape our reality with alcohol and other things. Welcome to my show, Greg.
1: Thanks for having me, Stefan. Great to be uh, here.
0: Absolutely. Oh, no, it's beautiful. Yeah, because it is It is so common. My goodness, when you actually dig down, there is so much trauma in all of us. Yet, um, like certainly my generation, there was this, oh, no, no, you need to be a man. A man doesn't show feelings. You need to take a concrete pill and grow two balls the size of your town. Then that's a real man. Man don't cry. All that bullshit. Um, so I was. I was my biggest hindrance with hindsight the core beliefs that i instilled in myself and that were condoned and supported by my society fuck's sake man so i know exactly why i wanted you on this show but let's start from the scratch you didn't wake up one day and said hey fantastic i gonna be a man who helps others to live a better life hey when you were eight go to your mummy. hey I will do the Prisma effort. Come on, mom. Come on. What do you think? No <laughs> yeah, one. Said it, wasn't,
1: it, wasn't, it wasn't the plan. It wasn't the plan. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I I developed Prisma out of my own journey healing. Um, you know, I found that a lot of traditional approaches to to therapy were pretty institutional and lacked the critical lens to kind of address the impacts of trauma, uh, how it gets stored in our body, you know, so for me, I was suffering with really horrific chronic pain. Um, so as much as I was able to kind of talk and think my way through a lot of my, my, my hurt, um, and how that brought, you know, some relief to anxiety and depression, mm. it, it didn't impact the, the imprint and the residue of that trauma on my physical body. So, you know, I started a journey to kind of see what else is out there, Um, you know, and I was steps away from antidepressants and pain meds. And, you know, earlier in life was definitely medicating with alcohol. Um, But I knew there had to be a different way. I didn't know what that was. Um, but through serendipity, I was introduced to energy medicine uh, through a dear friend who was actually a massage therapist. Uh, She offered me a massage, but I was living in so much physical pain that I didn't want a massage. Um, So then she introduced me to energy medicine, which was something I had never heard of, certainly wasn't looking for it. Um, But as I got a taste of this healing practice, I realized I'd found something I didn't even know I was looking for. Um, you know, I could feel my body just respond within minutes and just start to soften, and all of this holding and all of this guarding and all of this rigidity and tension just start to fall away. So they got me really curious, and that kind of started a twenty plus year journey of mapping different tools and practices to piece together to to make sense of my own journey. And, you know, develop something that's really practical and relevant to support to support healing for others.
0: Beautiful. And you're so right. There is this, this, this cliche, but actually it's a fact that issues lie in the tissues. And we keep forgetting that if there is pain in your shoulder, and what the shoulder, or what your body tries to do, it tries to heal. In order to heal, it needs it stable. So it basically, you you protect your arm, and everything gets tight. Often enough, your muscles up here go tight, and you know you end up with, with doing that. You're protecting that. Now, if you're in severe emotional pain, then your body often tries to do the same because it is the heart. It is. It's such a weird thing. This pain. It's very very. Physical quotation mark for your body because it experiences this pain, but uh, so it is not. If you if you look at that simplistic picture, maybe you can start begin to understand why sometimes, more often than not, people actually respond with very physical symptoms to emotional trauma. Yeah,
1: they're they're one and the same. You know, our subconscious and unconscious mind live inside the body. Um, you know, and when it comes to trauma, trauma is often experience, adverse experience that is too much too soon for us to manage and navigate. So we'll often leave the body, um, you know, so, you know, the, the idea of like a bird that flies into a window, and it lands on the ground, you think it's dead, but it's just in shock, right? Yeah. It, it It's in shock, because the impact of flying into the window was too great. So it has to completely dissociate from that pain. But over time, it starts to kind of come to and then it starts to shake off that trauma response and it flies away. Mm. You know, uh, as humans, we don't shake off that that trauma response so well. So the the impact of trauma and that shock remain. Right. So parts of us remain frozen. And, you know, I look at disease as stagnation. I look at illness and symptoms of stagnation where I look at health as movement and expression. So if we have an emotional experience that we're not able to work through and process, and we then are holding it and storing it in our body. Yeah, certainly it's going to that stagnation is going Mm. to perpetuate and create other other symptoms.
0: What are some of the some of the symptoms that you see in your daily practice with your clients? Mm. What do they come with?
1: Yeah. I mean, I primarily am helping folks with anxiety and depression, symptomatic of unresolved trauma, but that's that's my wheelhouse. But I mean, I have a client that, you know, we were working to resolve migraines and the migraines happened to be tied into a ton of shame, right? So as we helped them work through shame, Well, the migraines and the tension in their head and their body started to shift, right? Mm. But then behaviors in their life started to shift because if, you know, they're no longer identified with being bad or wrong, well, they're starting to center themselves in their own life and find more joy and, you know, Mm. pursue more of what they want instead of putting everyone else's needs in front of their own, right? So how this works, you know, behaviorally is, you know, really profound, but Mm. how then that person's no longer struggling with the migraines that used to literally keep them in bed for mm. days on day, days, upon days. Mm. Um, a lot of autoimmune disease as well. Um, you know, i thinking of a client that came in with a football sized fibroid, which, you know, as we worked together, I said, well, we're going to work with whatever unresolved emotion that your, you know, system hasn't had the capacity to work through, you know, over the last, 15 years that that fibroid has been developing, which was a lot of grief, a lot of loss and a lot of fear. Right. And so as they develop the capacity, you know, I think healing is developing a capacity and frameworks to be with our pain. Right. You like, you kind of started off the conversation, how we are often running from our pain, avoiding it, trying to, you know, how addiction is often helping us, you know, move as far away from it as possible. Mm. So how do we develop resources to, to sit with our pain? And when we develop that capacity, then we start to metabolize it, we start to process it, we just start to make sense of it. And then hopefully we can start to derive more meaning and significance mm. from it. So then it could be a really useful, mm. um, a useful and relevant piece that helps us derive more significance in our lives.
0: And that's so true, isn't it? It is um, what our refocusing our transformation uh, is doing is essentially analyzing what is happening in our body. And that is for that we need to stop, we need to actually uh, learn how to feel. need to to make sense of those emotions to start off with to actually realize what is washing over us there ah okay that is a wave of anxiety cool um and understand that actually these emotions they are normal they're normal responses to the trauma they're normal responses to it. Oh, whatever has occurred to us, um, even the shame and the guilt—they uh, is sort of in your own convoluted mind. Maybe I don't want to say crazy mind, but in your in your distorted core beliefs, the whole thing actually makes sense. But then, when you actually start actually shining light on it and actually realize what is going on, then bloody hell! And that is where the power of insight starts. And that is, I think, where your, your uh, method allows patients to actually uh, become more aware of what is actually happening within them, and start to address that. I remember I was um, in my in my own rehab in in the first week, it was all nebulous, because I came off a lot of alcohol. Um, and then in week two, three, uh, a counselor worked with me to actually Um, go through my trauma which there was plenty of it to be done and very soon did I realize that I was essentially I had so much happening to me and quite rightfully I was resentful and angry but it was this kind of self-destruction and the moment I, I learned that I had that insight that it was like look what you have done to me I'm going to drink now a whole bottle of vodka. That will show you. (laughs) The moment I spelled that out, it became such a weird thing. And I think that was the insight when you start actually uh, to look at your own behaviors and your core beliefs and realize that many of them were laid down in a way that you had little control over. They were often laid down early in your life. Um, They were laid down maybe by some uh, incidences that with hindsight, you think, wow, how do I get to that? But there it is. I'm worthless. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm stupid. All those core beliefs that, that are in there. And it's just, I'm a failure. But you think, what the fuck? So does Prisma um address the core beliefs as much as it addresses the 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 link between physical and emotional pain
1: yeah all of these pieces are connected and yeah because you know these beliefs we develop we're highly adaptive so when we have a traumatic experience you know we're going to have these maladaptations to stress which then you know are shifts in behavior shifts in belief and then we develop entire identity structures around those strategies which are often coping strategies that in some cases we developed in early development which were then very much around survival right so when we have these strategies these identity structures these behaviors and beliefs organized around strat are very survival whether it's a real threat to our life or a perceived threat Mm -hmm. um, that's that becomes a a a very strong matrix of energy that can really have us bound up tight right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then the emotions around it right um yeah those emotions can either become explosive and do a lot of damage externally or implosive and do damage internally And so, so much of, yeah, how we're working to heal in Prisma is to step outside of the identity structure of pain, which gives us some space between us and the narratives and the behaviors and beliefs organized around the pain, so we can start to rewrite some narratives. But, you know, that starts first with developing kind of a regulated nervous system, helping to teach the nervous system to land. Because until the nervous system lands, we're going to be in a perpetual state of threat and survival organized around fight, flight, freeze, or appease. And, you know, the, the neuroplasticity, the rewiring of the brain that's necessary in healing is dependent upon safety. So we need to develop nervous system safety. You know, and I think of like a seaplane landing on water. You know, it lands on water and then it bounces back up, yeah. touches down, bounces back up. It takes a while for it to actually settle down. So, you know, having a, a toolbox of strategies to help us first become aware of the nervous system and then learn how to work with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to really make a big difference in our ability to then rewrite these narratives. Um, and then mm-hmm. Start to take action in, oh, wait, is this a default behavior organized around survival? And if I am actually safe, then can I choose a different behavior? So those are, yeah, all components of how I'm working, you know, nervous system regulation is the first pillar, you know, narration is the fifth pillar of my system identity is this, um, sixth pillar of my system, you know, so all these pillars are kind of drop pins on a trauma and neuroscience roadmap that help us mm. become better understand the terrain of healing, um, mm. and help us map the journey from pain to purpose. Um, You know, and Mm -hmm. purpose is coming into just a place of being, because so much of our pain, again, around survival is organized around what parts of us have we learned that we need to hide. Um, Mm. It's not safe for these parts of us to be seen. And then what parts of (laughs) us are we performing Uh, to get our basic needs met? True. And so, so much of healing is realizing that what if we can just be ourselves, nothing to Mm. hide, nothing to perform. Yeah, so you're speaking into, you know, how we have an identity structure that gets organized around traumatic experience, right? So if who we are is organized around survival, this fight, flight, freeze, or appease response, you know, then our behaviors and our beliefs are organized around that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a foundational piece to healing is first regulating the nervous system and helping us locate safety, And that takes time. So sharing, you know, a wheelhouse of tools that can make first understanding the nervous system and the drives of the nervous system, understanding and bringing awareness to those drives, and then developing the capacity to help locate, yeah, allowing the nervous system to land, to locate safety, you know, and neuroplasticity is dependent upon safety. So we can't rewire the brain and rewire thoughts Mm much less than behaviors and beliefs without that baseline of safety. Mm. Um, And so updating the narrative and flipping the script, you know, is no easy task. And so mindfulness is a big piece of that, right? It's reorienting the brain from pain to possibility, but we often are, you know, we continue to get embedded in this, this, this matrix of pain that can really hold a, hold a, a strong grip on, who we believe ourselves to be, and what we believe is actually possible. So yeah, healing is
0: Yeah, sorry, you're so right. You're absolutely so right. And I want to just raise awareness a bit about the fact that we are not just here suddenly, hey, we are humans in 2022. No, we are humans that have come from a long line of ancestors. And our ancestors, many, many thousand years ago, were living in small tribes. Um, It was absolute paramount that you were part of this tribe, because if you were ostracized, if you were thrown out of the tribe, that was a death sentence. That was basically, you could not look after yourself um, alone. And it was, yeah, that was it. So, our our bodies, our minds have developed deep, deep, deep uh, links between being accepted by the tribe and survival. So therefore the shame and the guilt, sometimes when you wonder where the hell is all that rubbish coming from, it's actually deep, deep, deep ingrained and it has it has served our ancestors very well to survive. Therefore, it is so deeply ingrained into the very subconscious kind of things. But if that same feelings of shame and guilt are unnecessarily triggered, and are now becoming the main driving force, or stopping force, maybe, shall I say, because it stops us from taking action, stops us from seeking help, stops us from healing, out there, this is so important that we actually realize, man, we are are working against some very, very, very strong feelings there. And we need to explore that. Because out of such conflict grows so much adrenaline and cortisol spikes, and no surprise that you feel anxiety. Imagine you stop, you step in front of a car, and you just realize, oh, shit, I'm dead. And you just jump back. Can you imagine the adrenaline rush? Can you feel your, your skin go and your stomach going And that is normal. That is the adrenaline. Now, unfortunately, if that get, that system gets triggered, well guess what? That's an anxiety attack with all its bells and whistles. So if we actually put it just into the natural setting where these systems have derived from and, and where, where they were sensible and were helping us then actually you understand they are actually quite not nice, not bad systems. They are, the systems make sense or at least made sense when you stepped in front of a car or when you were living in a small tribe 50,000 years ago. Um, nowadays, though, when an email triggers the same response or when just anything else is triggering you, no, no. So it's it's good. So we are working against some powerful, powerful, I wouldn't call them enemies, Powerful systems that are designed to protect you, and they are so—they they are deep, deep underlying, and—and and without you actually stopping, and realizing, and having someone to guide you through that craziness in your head. And when I say craziness, I don't mean now uh, the 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 derogatory "you're crazy." I mean there's all these complex processes and yeah. things that are happening all at the same time. It's so beautiful to learn about them and to tease them apart. So if we are saying that these are such powerful systems, that they are, that they are laid down 50,000 years ago, what the hell can we do nowadays to, to work against them or modify them or transform them? This must be stupid. Why do we even try? Can we try? Does it make sense?
1: Well, I think you touched upon something there. I think we we believe these systems to be our enemies and we fight against them. And what we need to do is develop awareness, see that actually what we perceive as our enemy is our sacred guardian. It's trying to protect mm-hmm. us. It's trying to help us to survive. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in our modern world, we need to adapt and work with these systems a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in nature when a gazelle is chased by a cheetah, but it survives, you know, the cheetah gives up the the chase. And the moment the gazelle realizes it's no longer in harm's way, when its life is no longer at threat, it does a ritual shaking. And, you know, just shakes off that stress and instantaneously Mm -hmm. goes back to the parasitic sympathetic response, which is rest and digest, you know, just Mm. instantaneously goes back to eating grass without a care in the world. So the imprints of trauma are just keeping us stuck in this perception of alienation, isolation, threat, lack of support, right? Mm. So a huge piece of healing is deriving support deriving a sense of belonging mm. um you know belonging is a huge piece so as you mm. you know mentioned just that belonging to a tribe you know belonging and how do we locate our ability to belong by just being ourselves mm. right and that's a journey that's a journey of discovery and growth that's that's not a silver bullet that's not a one and done that's that's a process um and in doing so we're really helping ourselves Better understand who we are and our place in the world. We're mapping unmet needs. We're grieving the loss of unmet needs. You know, working through the emotional impact of lived experience, um, and locating that we're we're not our experience. We're not our emotion. You know, and so the mindfulness piece is helping us locate that who we are is presence, right? And the more we live in full presence the more it puts our thoughts and our emotions, our behaviors and beliefs in perspective. Um, And then we can start to align behaviors, beliefs, thoughts, and emotions with presence. And and there we locate more empowered alignment. You know, there's more congruency. There's more more coherence where body, mind, and spirit are living in more of a harmonic resonance. Mm. You know, I also love the imagery of like a a symphony orchestra. And so if the body, mind and spirit is a symphony orchestra, when we are experiencing health, we are in total balance. Right. And every part is in harmony. We're making sweet music. And when the the nervous system gets short circuited because of a real or perceived threat, you know, we start to disconnect that. Um, continuity, that harmony starts to break up, and we start to experience more noise, right? And then that noise is our symptoms. That noise is our illness. That noise is our pain. So healing isn't about fixing anything because nothing's really broken. It's just helping to to tune up the the symphony orchestra that we are, right? It's like each of the players and each of the parts might still be, you know, perfectly healthy and fine, they're just not well orchestrated. So it's just bringing all the parts of us back into um, realizing we're all playing on this, you know, all these different parts are playing for the same team.
0: (laughs) Oh, what a beautiful picture, actually. (laughs) That's a really nice way of putting it. Um, It is it is so important, isn't it? And we are, we are talking so much about the fight and flight uh, uh, system, which helps you and saves you. And we talk about the cortisol and the chronic stress and that that maybe nowadays is, is far too overpowered. What we never really talk about is this, the opposite, the parasympathetic nervous system um, and the power of that. It is the parasympathetic nervous system that allows you to heal. Both uh, on a body level as well as on on a mind level, it is when we actually uh, switch off the sympathetic nervous system, and uh, there are many techniques to do so. And we actually uh, do the reverse: we we actually bring the parasympathetic nervous system up and and try to strengthen it. Then, that suddenly gives you the time um, to heal and the time to actually get those. New insights that will help you to break through the trauma consequences, get get through there and get out there. It is an, an powerful, powerful thing. How do you do you approach that within your Prisma method? Um, how do you switch off waves of anxiety? What do you teach people as a stepwise approach to deal with those negative waves, or I call them waves, negative waves washing over you? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So energy medicine is a big component of my practice. I look at it as the vehicle for healing. And with energy medicine, that vehicle is helping to calm the cardiovascular system. It's helping to activate um, the immune system. And then that's bringing the parasympathetic nervous system online. Um so the main vehicle I work with is Reiki which is uh, a hands on practice so using the laying of hands you know touch is the only sense we can't live without touch is where we communicate connection touch is where we transmit a sense of human bonding um you know so again we can't we're we're social creatures we're not meant to live in isolation and we certainly can't heal imprints of isolation of the imprints of isolation from trauma alone um, although our trauma brain will tell us that we can figure it all out on our own, which you know that's just not true. Um, and so, touch really helps to transmit and communicate a sense of connection. Um, and so that is again just bringing the parasympathetic nervous system online, mm. all on its own. Um, and certainly, we can work with many tools as well to help with that. You know, mm. breath and movement. Um, you know, mindfulness. Um, but not all practices are well-suited when it comes to trauma either, right? Mm -hmm. So, a one practice and tool that might serve one of us very well may Mm -hmm. aggravate someone else's trauma response. So there's not a one fit, one size fits all approach to healing as well. Um, which is, I think important to, to name and acknowledge. So when people are kind of Mm -hmm. exploring and trying different practices on that, if one practice doesn't work, Mm -hmm. um, to keep going keep exploring and find the practice that does, that does work for you mm-hmm. you know i like the term which was developed in chiropractic innate wisdom and so it's a term and a a, a principle i work with as well in prisma you know innate wisdom is the healing mechanism that if we get a paper cut it heals the paper cut it sends platelets and proteins and orchestrates all these biochemical mm-hmm. transmissions and that innate wisdom is healing that paper cut, whether we're asleep, whether we're working, whether we're eating, (laughs) you know, we're without us having to think about it. So, you know, all the tools I work with in Prisma from this trauma and neuroscience roadmap to somatic and mindfulness-based practices to energy medicine are all just aligning us to our innate wisdom, Mm. right breaking up the noise whatever is getting in the way of our Mm. connection to our ability to listen to ourselves Mm. and so the more we're in alignment with our innate wisdom the more we can track up that's the nervous system that's the fight response that's my freeze response let me get some distance from that i am not that behavior i'm not that belief up here i am so differentiating between who I am and what I'm experiencing creates that space, creates that pause. And as we live in that full presence, that pause between us and experience, that innate wisdom is more readily accessible. And so that's going to just help us have more of a direct channel back to the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm. And, you know, life experience will demand that the sympathetic, the fight flight response does activate from time to time and we want to understand that as a function not as an identity but oftentimes we like are carrying it on like a costume and wearing it 24/7 mm. and we want to realize just like the gazelle that when we no longer need to be you know running for our lives we can stop running and we can just take a seat
0: absolutely And that's so important. That's so important to realize that. And I often compare it with a a wave in the uh, the ocean. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're in the sea and there's a wave coming, you can get really angry about it and shout at the wave and be, why do you come right now? the wave doesn't care, it just comes. Okay, so you might as well think, okay, I can now surf that wave, or I can just dive underneath the wave, or I can just let myself carry in the water by that wave, uh, and just experience it. And I think it, these are your options also, when, when there's a wave of neurochemicals washing over you. Um, it is often enough, we people get uh, angry and, and ashamed that they're suddenly in the midst of a anxiety attack. And I, and, and I find myself there. Right now, as we are talking here, five minutes ago, we had so much trouble in, in the interview. Uh, Zoom played games on us. And here I felt this anxiety building up. Literally, I became tense. I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. Here I am. This is nearly my 300th interview. Why the hell does it happen to me? All this kind of rubbish kind of things. And for a moment, I had to actually think, hang on, hang on. None of that is your fault. None of that is as anything you cannot control zoom you cannot control the gods of the internet you cannot and it took me a moment of mindfulness whilst you were talking there i actually had to take a few deep breaths and luckily i've I've practiced that and i know what to do to switch off that, that that wave of anxiety but it is it is amazing let's 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 accept it as part of our lives this is not something negative that is not something something that we need to to be to feel in any way negative about this is just part of life okay but by accepting it and by actually learning methods of maybe maybe speeding up that wave how about that that would be nice if you could speed up the wave uh, it will still come but maybe it like fast forward wave gone. <laughs> Would that not be nice if you can develop those kind of things? And I I love those things where I can take control. I mean, with Reiki, um, maybe for those people who don't understand Reiki and energy medicine, maybe can you go a little bit more in there? Because that is something that you do to a patient or to a client, however you want to call that person in front of you. Is there a component there in Reiki where people learn to do things themselves?
1: Sure, both. Yeah. So I work with all of my clients uh, actually remotely now. So I'm working with Reiki and energy medicine over the phone, over Zoom. And then in my online course, I'm teaching Reiki, you know, th- on an online platform mm-hmm. and yeah, teaching people how to regulate through touch. Um, but kind of, if I could go back to one thing you were saying just about the mindfulness piece. Yeah, I think the mindfulness piece, which I feel for me, you know, and all the tools I share are kind of meant to pair together and support one another. So I find that a Reiki practice deepens my mindfulness practice, you know, oh, and because. The essence of this connection with touch is just honoring and accepting what is, making loving contact with what is, not fighting against it, not demonizing it, not judging it, having compassion for it. And then we can drive more understanding. And that's where we can kind of slow down and tease out, oh, where? Were, what are all the beliefs and behaviors and narratives that are just organized around this, which kind of hearing you share You know your experience just now. You had the awareness of kind of these thought bubbles and clouds circulating around, and then you were able to take a few breaths and kind of distance yourself from them instead of just living in kind of that the hamster wheel and perpetuating those cycles. And it's a practice, right? The mind is a tricky thing to, to get to know, and it's even more difficult to know when we've got trauma organized around the brain. And so the mindfulness is the mind training that does Mm -hmm. take practice. But then the more we practice, we have a quicker recovery time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, when I am teaching my students how to work with Reiki, it's developing just a daily practice to just make loving contact with ourselves, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I when I was living with chronic pain, like literally was fighting against it. You know, I have to, I need to like uh, crack my spine and open my chest and, you know, trying to get myself out of my experience, which makes sense. If we're in pain, we want to get out of pain. And yet Hmm. the path of healing is, let me actually be present to the pain and that will help my system work through the pain, and then I can get to, you know, a different type of experience. And it's more just relating to the pain differently. Um, And as we relate to the pain differently, because, you know, coming at the pain, I want to fix the pain, I want to change the pain, I want to get out of pain, you know, especially if our identity is organized around the pain, and then we're kind of coming at ourselves with some violence with some intensity. And, you know, healing is how do we kind of come at ourselves actually with love, with compassion. And yeah, the acceptance you speak of, you know, I think the mindfulness, the sacred pause is to pause, notice what is, and then open to what is, lovingly accept it. And, you know, there's been phases of my healing where I'm learning to love actually parts of myself that I hate, right? And that, <laughs> that feels very counterintuitive, um, <laughs> And that's, again, that's a hard journey, but, you know, the parts of us we hate are the parts of ourselves that we've split from, right? And so trauma creates the, these splits and these fragmentations and these divisions within us, right? So we have all these different parts moving in different directions, and healing is just this return to wholeness, a return mm-hmm. to wholeness where all parts of us are welcome.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's quite right. Uh, is there is there um, a technique, uh, a beginner technique in Reiki that you can show us now that you can show me uh, remotely? I have not I I have been exposed to, to many forms of healing. And I, I'm, I've had some amazing breakthroughs and, and amazing experiences. I have not worked with a Reiki practitioner. So therefore, I'm, I'm innocent. I don't know what to expect. But maybe is there something that we can try right now? Yeah.
1: I mean, how if you came across a newborn that mm-hmm. was in distress? How would you hold that newborn? Right? So. And like, what, what type of energy would you bring to that? You know, would it be rough and intense? <laughs> would it be soft and gentle? Soft it's, and gentle. You know, right. So it's like, how do we hold ourselves like we would a newborn child? Right. How would we, how do, because so, there's a piece of around self soothing, right? We also learn how to regulate in relationship, but we also want to develop capacity to self soothe. And so, mm-hmm. and when that hasn't been modeled for us, and a lot of people think, mm-hmm. you know, trauma is just when we've been on the receiving end of abuse and violence. But actually, a lot of trauma is instilled from neglect, not having emotional support and attunement that is reliable and consistent mm-hmm. from our primary caregivers in early development. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if we're not receiving that level of attunement and care, then we haven't then we've not developed the capacity to regulate our own emotions and our own nervous system because it hasn't been modeled for us because actually we learn that in relationship and early development. So then we have the capacity to do that for ourselves. And so, um, you know, so it's more of a, an energetic way. How do we approach ourselves with that level of attunement, with that level of care, with that level of thought and gentleness right um because i find that often when we're you know Mm -hmm. fighting against a trauma response where we're fighting against our pain you know we're just gonna aggravate that energy so you know the the foundational teaching in reiki is to come at ourselves from just the opposite place so um and that's a mindset, that's a vibration. And then if we were to bring that to just the physical touch, then how can we just hold ourselves in, mm. that, in that energy, in that awareness? Mm. Okay.
0: Is there, so if you look at Reiki, are there elements of the body that are very, specifically linked to the parasympathetic nervous system? Um, Or is it the sheer intention? And do you use touch in order to align a certain switching on in the brain? Or is there literally a button somewhere? Okay, I press that button. Okay, I get better. I know there is not. But I mean, mean, how do you explain it to someone, um, how this touch actually works? Sure.
1: Um, I, I rather give folks an opportunity to experience it for themselves. Um, there is no button. Um, everyone has trauma that has imprinted upon them in a very unique fashion. Mm. Um, and so how their system has organized around that trauma is quite unique. Um, and yet, you know, the, again, the message that we're communicating through touch is I've got your back. I'm here with you, and you're not alone. And so, when we start to literally feel that level of connection and support and care, mm-hmm. then the parasympathetic nervous system is going to come online. The innate wisdom, that healing mechanism mm-hmm. is going to. Um, surface, and then the body's natural ability to heal all of the maladaptations to stress and all of the symptoms and illness and disease that are symptomatic of those maladaptations Mm -hmm. can start to heal on their own. So it's not a cookie cutter approach or do, do this to yield that result. It's more let's create care, compassion, support and connection. And that is literally creating the climate for healing to happen on its own. So healing is more of a happening and less of a doing. And the healing practices I share are just creating the climate to to support that process.
0: And I think that's so important that we actually highlight that and stress that. Stress that? Really? (laughs) Bad choice of words. (laughs) We need to highlight that because healing takes time this is no one button see i press on there i get better now i'm sorry guys um my healing is actually ongoing i've been intentionally healing and and seeking out healing methods for my own, own trauma for the last 8 years and i dealt with a lot of shit up there but guess what uh, new trauma comes along um so i get i get to practice Every day, sometimes every six hours. And you think, what? The... Beep. Um, yeah, trauma <laughs> keeps happening to us. So bottom line is, trauma comes in layers and our healing comes in layers too. We also have to say, I want to say one thing actually. Earlier on, I meant to comment on something you were saying um, that uh, you need to be open to different ways. If one way doesn't work, then maybe another way is more suitable for you. I would put another dimension in there, because often enough, we are not ready to heal. We are not ready to seek help. In the past, I ran a pain practice, um, and I saw chronic pain patients. And I will forever remember a a lady in her mid-50s with chronic tummy pain. And she had multiple operations. They looked into her tummy, did scans, gave drugs, did everything, and nothing ever worked. And then she came to me and as part of my practice, I asked patients to fill out or asked, when I was practicing there, I asked them to fill out reams of paper, reams of questionnaires. And one of them, one of the questions was, have you ever been abused? And this lady came in on the day of our appointment, uh, introduced herself, prim and proper. And before she even sat down, She said, Doctor, I want to tell you something. And I said, yeah. And in all those 20 years that I've been now struggling with my abdominal pain, no one has ever asked me that. I said, what? If I have been abused. And the moment she opened up there, that was herself giving herself permission at that moment in time to actually face the reality because the reality was that in a very abusive marriage, her husband had heard her uh, hit her tummy, kneeled her in the tummy um because it was not leaving any evidence. that was his way of abusing her. and until she got out of her her abusive marriage um that uh, that was the daily practice. Now that was 20 years ago. Uh, but she still carried that trauma with her. And it was that chronic abdominal pain for which she, for 20 years, sought help from medics. I want you to fix it. I want you to open me up. Do another scan. I'm sure there's something wrong with me. And it took 20 years for her to be to come to a point where she was actually um, maybe looking at the psychological reasons for her pain. Needless to say, no surgery was necessary, no drugs were necessary. She started to work with a counselor and that was the last thing I saw with her. And uh, it was was a beautiful thing. So you need to be ready to address the trauma in your life. And sometimes there are, I mean, it took me a long time of denial where I was simply not ready. So if you see a friend who is going through a lot of very dark times, but you feel they are not ready. What do you do? What, what's, how is your approach there?
1: Well, I think the key to a trauma-informed practice, a trauma-informed approach to healing, is to meet people where they're at. And so, you know, you may meet someone in the physical symptom of their pain, Mm -hmm. Right. And as much as I help people heal trauma, I actually spend very little time discussing trauma. Um, We don't focus on trauma. Again, my job is to just help people align to their innate wisdom, which is helping them connect Mm -hmm. to their parasympathetic nervous system. And then that gives their bodies intelligence, the capacity, and the wherewithal to address the trauma on their terms and in their timing and in their rhythm and in their cadence. So I don't oh, make nice. the trauma and the wounding my problem. And sure, some folks may never pick up the phone and call me because they may not be ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also had clients, so I'm thinking of one who, you know, came to me after she said that a previous healthcare provider, you know, told her that she had unresolved trauma. And that's not a very trauma-informed approach. No one wants to have a finger pointed at them because we may literally not have the capacity to acknowledge the wounding yeah. we carry. That could be too overwhelming and flood the nervous system and do more harm than good.
0: Yeah.
1: So she came to me and said, "I had this experience, you know, but I'm not—I'm not carrying any trauma." Um, and I said, "Okay," and we worked together. And I think only within a, f- a few more sessions after that were they able then to put words to some of the trauma they were carrying? So we built trust and we built rapport. We Mm. had helped their nervous system land. Mm. So they developed more safety to actually be inside of themselves. (laughs) And then they were able to acknowledge their trauma and have done significant work since then to reorient it and heal it. So it's really about meeting people where they're at. Um, And, so to some degree, people don't need to be ready if yeah. they are coming to a practitioner that's willing to meet them where they're at. Um, and Beautiful. In that meeting, and that's the essence of, again, how we would hold ourselves with a Reiki practice. How yeah. would we hold uh, a, an infant in yeah. distress? And the more we just hold an infant in distress, then they learn how to come out of that distress.
0: Beautiful. Just by being supported beautiful that's a really beautiful approach actually um just acceptance and uh take it from there but it means basically taking small steps taking action um accepting that there is no no perfection waiting if i just wait long enough to find a perfect person to help me to find the perfect thing uh, you often enough come if if you even think along those lines you end up with analysis paralysis where where you always wait and wait and wait no actually take the, take action and do one little thing that might be actually reconnecting with nature and and going for a walk out there intentionally um not having your phone on you intentionally not not getting triggered and then just going for a walk that's 20 minutes so well invested. Or um, there's so many approaches you can take, but all of that is taking action. And uh, it is, it all can help you go down the right way but of course if you uh if you just take action without having a compass so if you just start walking well you can end up 360 degrees anywhere um, so maybe it might be more worthwhile that actually you uh get to know a general direction that you want to be heading. And I guess that's where your Prisma method comes in. And there's where a structured approach to your healing can be so turbocharging your path to recovery. And when I say recovery, I don't necessarily mean now addiction recovery, but recovery from your mental health problems that potentially are now, manifesting themselves in so much physical pain, that this is all overshadowing everything else. So by actually having a structured approach to your healing, you might actually suddenly find, whoa, things are getting better. And you might not even be able to explain it. And who cares? Who cares? As long as you're starting to get more in line with your body to get more in line with your emotions. And I love the, the, the picture of the symphony orchestra, um, what is going on as suddenly when actually things start to come together and the music starts sounding really quite nice and relaxing, I like that, I like that. These are the moments of serenity. These are the moments of of being there and owning it and being calm. That I cherish. These are these are gifts in my life, and but I've I've learned techniques that make it more likely that these moments occur, and I think that is very structured approach, like Prisma comes to. Brilliant, Greg. I mean, if if people are are gelling with what you're saying, and if uh, people say, "Wow, I want to know more," where can they go?
1: sure yeah prismamethod.com you can learn about my online course and community Mm. you know that's the trauma and neuroscience roadmap the seven prisma pillars which are the drop pins on that roadmap so you know where you're at you're not traveling blindfolded Mm. Um, then there's the gps which is the somatic and mindfulness-based practices which is the mind training to shift from pain to possibility and then the vehicle which is the energy medicine foundation training so you have literally develop a healing practice for life. Um, And gregwhiting.com is where folks can learn more about me. And I have limited space to work with clients one-on-one. You can learn more about my story there.
0: Brilliant guys look down there into the description of the youtube video and of the podcast all the links are down there whilst you're down there you might as well press the like and subscribe button so that you get notified every time we put one of these fantastic interviews out there Um, i'm producing uh, I'm very actively producing interviews because I've got such lovely people coming onto my show. Greg, I mean you honor me for being here for sharing your approach, which comes out of out of years and years of your own experience. and therefore you you share so much from yourself and you actually become the the light in the darkness of others. And that is such a beautiful thing. So I'm very grateful that you came today onto my show because it is, It is. hopefully we can make this world a better place. One interview at a time, exposing people to new ideas, showing them that the past does not equal the future. We can go out there. We can make a change. We have got the privilege of choice. We can make right now, we can make choices. You can, for example, choose to say, well done. I've just listened to this interview. Wow, I did an hour of looking after myself. That is a success. Congratulations to you out there. Uh, You could now say, wow, let's compound that. I look now after myself and I rehydrate. I'm going to give myself a big glass of water. Two actions that you have taken where you looked after yourself. How fantastic is that? Was it hard? Probably not. Okay, keep going. But yeah, maybe look at the Prisma method and see if that gels with you and see if that can help you. Otherwise, just look after yourself and and go out there and live this life to the fullest. Accept the, the things that are not so nice and understand that, you know, time will will pass. Um, but you have got the right to to make choices how you feel, how you respond to things that happen around you, all those kind of things. So life is beautiful. Make the most out of it. Even, even if it sounds a bit corny, if now shit is hitting the fan in your life, I know you can get through that. So look after yourself. And Greg, again, thank you so much to you. Everyone out there, look after yourself. Bye. Thanks, Stefan.